Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I'm just easing into the night. But I learned over the 4th of July weekend, I was invited to all sorts of things. I'm like, no, that's some crazy weeks, like I've been telling y'all all this week. So I uh, I relaxed, and I decided to look at my phone and go, oh, there's an app called GarageBand. I used to make a lot of music. I had something like 50 songs. Most of them were crap. I was like, hey, I wonder if I could make it work with... And it did, and this is what I made over the weekend. Still need to add vocals and all sorts of different stuff. I got stuff. you there. This you, is you. Yeah, oh. this is me. And it's crazy. I made this with just on, my phone. Literally just on your phone. And I found a little adapter so I could plug an electric guitar and plug a bass and play the bass and guitar live and stuff. Great, so now I'm going to waste the rest of my night doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. And that voice is the voice of Frisco Riverstone. Frisco Riverstone, yeah, back with Joey. Yeah, welcome back to the program. And we have good old Clay Sharp, Clay the Hammer Sharp. There you go. Southernwood. That's me. Yeah, Frisco, you see that that paddle over there? Oh, I see it. When I initiated him into the Joey Clark Radio Hour Hall of Fame, it's a very humble program. <laughs> uh, we christened him Southern Wood and gave him that paddle. It, for a while, it sat on your mantle, but I guess you're... I brought it up here for some reason Yeah, and left it up here one day. Yeah. Take it back home. Did, uh. did Rowena not like it? Does... No, I'm, I, you asked me to bring it for some specific reason. We need to use night. it on somebody or something. And uh, uh, So anyhow, and I just... I think I brought it to News and Views. Yeah. Oh, it must have been that crazy week. We were talking about that off air for us ago where I was doing 10 hours straight, hosting seven of them. Yeah. Man, it's unreal. But uh, tonight there's a lot going on in the news. Apparently the president has found an end round around the census um, question. Like literally just happened, breaking news. You know, um, I'm not, philosophically speaking, I'm not a diehard fan of William Barr. I think the guy is too much on the side of more executive power as an attorney general. But I'll say this about William Barr. The guy is incredibly gifted, very talented, knows how to work the system, the legal system, as well as the political side of the system. And so I think he's really the one that came up with a lot of stuff. Well, like one of the, one of the great things that, that he said today too, um, in his speech was, um, you know, that it, it, that with the Supreme court, um, it wasn't, a legal decision. It was kind of a logistical decision. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were they were running out of time. The census is is coming up, and so it's not like uh, I forgot who it was 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 on the news saying like uh, yeah they, they went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme, Supreme Court said no, and it's like no, it wasn't that they said no. It's that there were uh, you know there was they didn't have time to, to litigate through all the other court orders against it, and so and the Commerce Department essentially I think the Commerce it, Department dropped the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't. They didn't. They, yeah, they didn't set it up 
from the beginning, you know, right from the beginning anyway. Yeah, so. I just find that, I mean, I understand that apportionment of congressional seats is important, but other than that, I find this argument that's broken out over the sense it's more, it goes back to the point I've been making a while here on these airwaves, and you've been here alongside me, Southernwood, uh, where politics is not about an enlightened discussion to come up with the best policies for the people of this nation. No. 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 It is a symbolic fight, often a dishonest one, in order to win and wield power. Well, power. Joey, hell, it's, it's what we have been saying ever since you've been on the radio. It's freaking professional wrestling. Really you know, is. I mean, they pretend <laughs> to be mad at one another and fight one another. They know what the outcome that they want, and, and they're going to get there. If they have any way possible to get there, they're going to get that. Mm-hmm. And, and both sides want the same thing, but, you know, the Democrats can say, hey, look here, Republicans, uh, you know, my base is getting a little weak now. You know, y- y'all got to let me fight you on this one. <laughs> right. You know, because, hell, 20 years ago, it was the Republicans that wanted immigration. And then now it's the Democrats that want illegal immigration. It's and in 10 years from now, it's liable to be the Republicans wanting it again and the Democrats fighting against it. Oh, yeah. No, they play, they turn heel and play babyface. I would love if Donald Trump turned babyface if he gets reelected. Yeah, that would be pretty. It's like, I love everybody. I love. <laughs> we're, what we're going to do is we're going to finish the wall. And fabulous, fabulous. Fabulous, beautiful, big. Not just a wall, though. In certain areas, a very, very powerful fence. Powerful. Very powerful fence. I love that he said that. Uh, that he did actually say that, folks. Is that an actual quote? Yeah, he's like, okay, it doesn't even have to be a wall. It's, it's just a very powerful, a very, very powerful fence. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so he, he just like that witch. That witch lady cast a spell on him. Mm-hmm. Oh, Marion Williamson. Yeah. <laughs> but back back to that census, though. You know, there's ample justification as to why we need to understand yeah. if there if you are a legal citizen or not. Uh, exactly. and, and, and I might be, this might be controversial, but it, you, it goes to you saying power, you know, the Democrats are afraid, um, uh, because a lot of Democrat districts, especially out West are full of illegal immigrants. Yes. And when you start picking those out and, and the non-immigrants out, what you're doing is you are allowing legal citizens to vote. Yeah. And if a majority of your district is illegal citizens, your power is slowly diminishing. They see that, they recognize that, and that's why we are in this S-storm. That yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's a crap show. <laughs> you know, and, and, it, and it's, it goes back to power. I think that's exactly what it is. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, there's ample justification. I mean, it, it makes sense. They ask you your age, your race, your gender, if you're in a same-sex marriage, all of those. Mm-hmm. Nobody's got a problem with that. But if you're a legal citizen, how is that, how is that even... Right, and that, that's how is that, that offensive? I don't, I don't even understand why anybody would, would fight it. Because, I mean, federal funds are based on citizens, taxpaying or people that deserve uh, tax-funded well, services. Actually, not and even, if you're not a citizen... Not even fully. The courts have decided that if you're here and you're undocumented or you're an illegal alien, you can still get education. You can yeah. still get some of the basic. See, I don't services. agree with that. That's right, but that's a lot freaking of, ridiculous. Sure, but sure. there are a lot of the federal grants are based on. And this is where I'm kind of again what the president did, did today is we don't have time to Absolutely. change the census for 2020. So what we're going to do is I'm calling on all the departments within the executive branch to talk to one another, bring to bear all the data you have on who is here as a citizen, who is here illegally, and even from a Democrat's perspective. That's useful information. Absolutely. It's not like he's saying, nope, 
go reprint all those census, all the censuses. We're going we're to redo all of this. No, he's just saying, okay, this is an executive order. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all agencies turn over all information regarding citizenship. Then they're going to use that and compile that information with other information, and then that makes up the census. Yeah. So it's not like it's uh, you know you're, you're forcing someone to declare it with their pen on their census. You know, it's right. It's ridiculous. Which which I think is a, it's actually a kind of a brilliant move, honestly. Uh, it has William Barr's fingerprints all over. Oh yeah. And, and he was the very next one to speak after Trump. Exactly. This, and also, I think more is coming with William Barr and the, what are they calling it, the investigation of the investigators. Yeah. That do with Mueller and Weissman, the whole Mueller team, and Strzok and Page, the two lovers. <laughs> and all this stuff. Like, I mean, there are some people I just don't want to imagine having sex. And Strzok <laughs> and Page are two of them. Well, Lisa's kind of cute. But and you say nearly are. To be honest, I don't even know what they. I don't even know what they look like. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to know. Yeah, it just yeah. Leave it be. Yeah, you, Let it lie. You're not missing anything uh, if but, you uh, hadn't seen <laughs> Nelly Orr. I promise you. But I want to go back to the wrestling thing real quick because I saw word the war is back on in wrestling. AEW All Elite Wrestling has hit the scene. They've got a deal with TNT. They've got big names like Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, the Young Bucks, uh, Cody, Cody Rhodes, mm-hmm. Dusty Rhodes' son. I mean, all sorts of stuff going on. So WWE has responded, and they've hired Paul Heyman to be the director of Raw, and it, it's changed ever since. Eric Bischoff's now running SmackDown, and SmackDown in particular, that's why I bring it up, will then go live Friday nights on Fox. Like, with Fox Sports, like the NFL, the MLB on Fox, like Fox They Fox. haven't done that before. No. no. Yeah. Hey, that that's that be really changes Fox. things, or at least it used to, well, and because we'll, the, the Saturday night, mm. you know, about every six months, they would have a big yeah. WWF event uh, instead of... Saturday night's main event? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that, that was... On NBC, I believe. It yeah. was. It was. I think it was when SNL was in hiatus. Yeah, and they would just take a night. But here's the thing: What do you think's bringing bringing all that back? I mean, uh, we're, well, we're they're making a lot of money, and it yeah. really it's not popular in the sense TV ratings in the '90s for wrestling and for other things like I mean, Friends is going off Netflix, sure. just sitcoms like Seinfeld and Friends and whatnot. Um, TV ratings aren't what they used to be because people have so many other options Absolutely. and now can stream things and YouTube has changed the nature of that. But WWE and I think AEW will be successful with this if you're going to brilliant ways of licensing and merchandise. Yeah. And they're just a, a constant money machine. And these big television networks are starting to see this, that, oh, not only will we have live programming and not have to think about. This is why Fox, I think, did this. They don't even have to think about what's going to be on Friday night primetime on Fox. Yep. It's now a guaranteed show. These guys have been doing this for two, three decades. It, mm-hmm. you, and, but you also have great content that can now be streamed, talked about, put out online, and you have the Fox logo right there. But All those other channels of revenue. But in. here's a great angle. Yeah. Apparently, the rumor mill started. Now, the wrestling... You talk about fake news. The wrestling <laughs> dirt sheets are... Sometimes they're right. They're often wrong. Uh, but the rumor is this, is that Fox executives are, they have a special ask when WWE SmackDown Live goes live on Fox on Friday nights in the fall. They want President Donald J. Trump to appear on the program. <laughs> is, this, is this a formal request that they've 
It's a rumor that Fox executives Please, really want WWE to pull this off. Some of my favorite Please. YouTube videos of early Trump are from the wrestling days. Yes. It's and like it's just... The you. Battle of the Billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the Stone Cold clip of Stone Cold cutting a promo on Donald. Yeah. yeah in the middle. Because <laughs> Stone Cold's going to be the ref for the Battle of the Billionaires oh, or whatever. Man. It's so good. And I would love to see that happen. Because Donald Trump really is... He's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, he was a big part of it. No, we actually ran into each other at the local house show here yes. in Montgomery. Yes, we did. Yeah. How long have you been kind of a wrestling fan, uh, Frisco? Well, it was kind of a huge thing. We're about the same age, so yeah. uh, it was like that, what was it, like fifth grade, sixth grade, yeah. uh, this uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Then I faded out of it a little bit, obviously got into sports, and then kind of, I don't know, kind of recently, I think it's because of the internet, really. Yes. And then who I who I associate myself with, I have some friends that, that were big wrestling fans. Sure. And, and then you actually go to a live event, and you're like, oh, wait, I could totally get into this. It's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. And in fact, I uh, I posted uh, some stuff and, and had quite a bit of feedback from, from friends of mine that were like, I didn't know you were into wrestling. Were you, I'm, I'm into wrestling, a, too. As a kid in like fifth, sixth grade, were you more of a WCW or WWF guy? WWF. Okay. Yeah. I was a WCW guy based on my mother's decision. Uh, she wouldn't let uh, me watch. And uh, and it, well, for me, it was always like a like a spend the night too. It wasn't. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't on on our main television in the in the living room. It, it was like, right, especially that era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. I wasn't even allowed to watch. I think like Roseanne because my mom didn't like her voice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was like definitely one of those uh, spend spend the night. And then the Jerry Springer came on at like one a.m. too. So you'd always try to stay up to watch you know jerry jerry, jerry. <laughs> it's so it's such a funny <laughs> interesting form of entertainment because it does have this realism to it and this psychology to it that does translate to politics so well like mm-hmm. when i watch what the media does every day whether it's fox news or msnbc they especially now that they're losing more and more eyeballs they're part of that whole tv ratings being down with everybody else they're becoming more and more shrill they're really trying to play on the the fear, envy, and and love aspect. I think love comes last. You're more loyalty to yeah. a certain cause, right? I mean, they have to manufacture hysteria mm-hmm. and and sell that. I uh, think that part of this is the census thing. It's like, why are we having this over-the-top fight? It's the media and the politicians yep. kind of like, oh, this is a symbolic thing about what Trump being a white supremacist and, oh, my Lord. It, it's it's manufactured outrage, and that goes back to what we talked about there last week. That was a word I was La- looking for. Last week we talked about that manufactured outrage because without it, what do we campaign for? What are we fighting for? So uh, let's paint uh, Donald Trump as this, this white man that is now asking us what our nationality are like that's right you know and it's and it's when you break it down <laughs> and, you, and you look at all the facts that actually show it, it it helps democrats it helps republicans it helps us as a nation allocate sources where they need to go uh when you break it down like that but but the, the media doesn't and the mainstream media won't no, because right. they need that outrage you have to you have to make the problem so that you can come up with a solution for the problem that is of your own making. Yeah, yeah. I think I was I was talking to Joey earlier, and we can hit this later, but it's like the, with the Women's World Cup, yeah. the, the pay discrepancy. So I was flipping through channels, and you're thinking, you know, you read it, and you're like, oh, man, these women, you know, they just won the whole World Cup, and, and every, every headline was like stats on women only got paid this much, and the men got paid, you know, X amount of dollars, and 
and I had to explain it actually for a friend of mine yeah. because you've got to look at it as a business. The 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 men's World Cup brings in four billion dollars. The women's World Cup brings in seventy four million dollars. So if you were to t- to take maybe let's just advocate like ten percent of gross revenue mm-hmm. goes to salaries, that means that the men who brought in four, that business brought in four billion. Uh, the men would have four hundred million in their budget for salaries. The women whose business made um, whose business made seventy four million. They would have seven million four hundred for their salaries. So yeah. yes, there is a drastic difference. But right. it's not that men hate women, so they pay them more. You know, the, the media right. is telling you men are pigs and they're paying these women less. It's it's actually uh, it's really it's the advertising and how the structure of the organization is actually set up. Right. But the media is going to show you, and the headline's going to be. Uh, women, you know, get paid less than men. We need equal pay. And, and that was part of this march. You know, they had a celebration in Times Square, which was awesome. You know, you guys won the World Cup, but then it turned into mm-hmm. equal pay, equal pay. Oh, and, 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 and what they should be reporting is the women, their salaries are 15% of their total revenue, where the men's salaries are only 9%. That's actually correct, yes. Yeah. So when you break it down, yeah, and, and you have to let, and I think, I think technically that, the men should be the one shouting, yeah. hey, where's my other 6%? Now, right. now yeah, I will say, though, there are bonus structures and things like sure. that, but I did look into it, and there's some certain bonus structures with the men where uh, if you're injured or if you're not, don't make the quote roster, you actually do not get paid for that game. Mm. And I didn't see any of that necessarily for the women's team. I think they're all on the roster and there was always a base pay. Um, so I found that interesting too. So it was, it was kind of like the more I dug, the more, the more it was kind of like, actually, the guys aren't really... Well, and, and, <laughs> yeah. It's not really fair for the guys. But uh, In the know. purple-haired Rapineau, um, who has really been the face of this whole you know, so-called scandal, uh, she was on Rachel Maddow recently. <sighs> and she said something amazing. And I'm not talking about anything scandalous or crazy, she said. Um, I'm not talking about the political bomb throwing. Rachel Maddow asked her, fans are chanting equal pay, equal pay, like you just said, Frisco. How can fans help women get equal pay for this equal is, work? This is really good. And Rapineau said, well, um, of course the national teams are going to get a lot of support. We have had a lot of support. But there is there are nine clubs in the, the women's soccer league. And so fans should buy tickets, buy merchandise, become season ticket holders. So essentially her answer is, Oh, wait, what conservatives and libertarians have been saying, if you really like women's soccer, go support go it. Go support it, absolutely. Right. Somebody yeah. just asked me, well, wh- why is, you know, women's soccer, it's great. Like, look at all this. Everybody's excited. Why is this just now a thing? It's 2019, and, and women should, and I had to kind of break it down. I said, you know, look, soccer globally, let's start with that globally. In many Muslim countries, soccer is wildly popular, yeah. and women aren't even allowed to play by law. So let's just look at that. And then you go in to see, all right, it's been socially acceptable for women to play in Western countries countries for less than like what 50 years it's kind of right. been a contact sport uh for men uh so so the long established soccer clubs like think the uk they've all had a much longer time frame to build into you know build it into the money-making franchises that we have today it's not that people hate women so they get paid less it's that men's teams clubs and organizations have been around longer and have long established streams of advertising yep. which equals income right well, it's, it's like it's japanese it's like japanese baseball Baseball's huge in Japan, yep. but I mean, they, I mean, they can't hold up 
I mean, what every couple of years you'll have one or two Japanese players come oh, to the sure. major leagues, and they're great. You know? but, and yeah. but it's it's the, I think the same thing. They weren't born and raised. You know, their grandfathers didn't play baseball. It's not a generational, uh, right. you know, building this generation mm-hmm. uh, of clubs and organizations. And and but I think too though this outrage, this faux outrage about this women. I think smart people get it and understand the business structure of it. I think that. The smart ones that get it, but that are still out there chanting that, I think there's an underlying cause. They're yeah. trying to create this awareness. Again, it's a symbolic fight for power. Uh, you know what I mean? Yep. And now all the little girls are running out and buying all the because uh, woe is it's that victim thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So woe is, and um, you know, and I, well, I hate to sound like that because it's like I actually badly respect these, yeah. these female athletes, but you got to break it down and look at the facts and the reality. Well, and it frustrates me to know, and my brother's a huge soccer fan. A lot of people up there during the wedding in, in Saratoga Springs, New York, were big soccer fans. We were watching the Women's World Cup. There were some great games. I enjoyed it. I was actually yeah. watching Germany compete next to a woman from Stuttgart, Germany. Nice. Uh, the father of the bride's cousin, uh, Sabina. And it was great. We had a good conversation. We were watching and enjoying the game. And, you know, I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I tend to, if I do watch soccer, I'll watch the men's, like, Champions League or Premier League soccer. Yeah. Um, I like, it's with me in any sport. I like the, like, like the highest end of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, this whole political outrage machine that's globbed onto this great moment should be a moment of celebration, should be a feel-good exactly. moment. It's now another example of politics kind of polluting the culture. And let, yeah, me point out one, let me point out one fact. These contracts that these women signed were signed a long time ago. They were negotiated over with their agents. They've mm-hmm. seen the contracts. So this isn't new. This isn't some all of a sudden we just won and now we're looking at our bank and we didn't get what we were promised. No, you you literally probably sat there with your lawyers and your agents. You negotiated your contracts. And, and it it's really comes down to their unions, I think, yeah. and, and what they agreed to on the, with their unions. And, and so um, this isn't something new, but it's new for us because we don't... We yeah. don't we don't track their unions. We don't track their pay and, well, and the now, financial it, statuses of their organizations. It did come up before. It, it might have been the first year mm-hmm. that, that we won the World Cup. Well, that was... Good gosh, when was that? I have no clue. The I mean, it had to be years ripped ago. Ripped your shirt off. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah me and him, and it was and, yeah, uh, 2000, and was that like 8 or 12? It yeah, was It was, it was like 8 or, or, or earlier. Or earlier than that. either way... The, the issue of pay came up at that time. Yeah. yeah. Because they were saying, I do, hey, actually, we I do won the that. World Cup. Dudes ain't ever won the World Cup. Right. What's up? Yeah. And so, you know, that was a little, but it wasn't, it wasn't on the freaking news well, 24-7 back then. We didn't have Twitter back then and Facebook and Instagram exactly. and all the other Well, but here's the thing. The, channels. All the arguments we're making, uh, I think, make perfect sense, but here's, I think, uh, a more radical feminist interpretation would probably be, well, this just goes to show of the patriarchy. People appreciate the men more <laughs> than the women. But it's it's a kind of that perspective. What they're essentially saying is we have to change society root and branch. Like, we have to, you know, why would you celebrate men's soccer to, you know, $4 billion and only the women to a few million? Because it's a better brand of soccer. <laughs> I mean, look, guys, uh, if you hadn't noticed, there are physical differences in men and women. Yeah, and men are better at sport than women are. 
Well, yeah. Save maybe. I mean, even even Depends, ice yeah. skating. Yeah, most most is, sports. That we I have. think it's just generational too. Like I said, it goes back to these these streams of income have been established decades ago. We've had mm-hmm. these soccer clubs for a very long time. Now it's socially acceptable, and that's cool. And we're building up to it. And we should be celebrating that. And I feel like uh, instead of celebrating that and and kind of boosting that, what what the the radical left and, and mainstream media tend to do is victimize it, mm-hmm. and then and then try to turn that into dollars somehow well, and then if you say well i'm not i'm not really a fan then you're it's not just oh it's not to my taste it's now we got in the yeah. last week yeah yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah there's some bigotry afoot <laughs> yeah. here it's yeah. like give me a break i do though before we hit this break uh, have y'all seen what the billionaire who founded home depot said in response yes. to all this outrage i want to share he this rocked it because <laughs> i love people especially individual people that don't kowtow to the outrage and just let people have it yes guy's name is bernie marcus he's a big philanthropist number one he didn't just make billions of dollars he's given away millions and millions of dollars in atlanta and he got in hot water because he told the atlanta journal constitution that he supported president trump and he'll probably continue to support President Trump. Absolutely. And so, of course, we, you know, off with his head, off with his head, off Boy, with his head. Boycott Home Depot. And so this is what Bernie Marcus himself wrote on Facebook. He said, I woke up this morning thinking it was going to be another great day. I've been celebrating with friends, family, and the community since I turned 90. The man's 90. He's 90. I've told you about the gracious gift of $117 million that was collected and given in my honor to four charities that mean a lot to me. All that happened, all that happiness blew up because I said in a newspaper interview that I have supported and will continue to support Donald Trump. Boom! Negative stories, vicious threats without cause to boycott the company that has enabled my foundation to give billions to support autism, medical research, education, heart and neurological issues like stroke, and to help our veterans. The company that I retired from in 2002 and have not had a business relationship within almost 20 years. A company that has employed more than half a million people. The people who work there are affiliated with both political parties or no party at all. Thank you for that, Bernie. They are of all religions and all colors and backgrounds. Why would you why would people want to hurt them? All because I give my voice and some of my money to our president. Am I in China, Argentina, Russia? That's what it feels like to me. It saddens me that our country has come to this, where I, as a private citizen, cannot express my feelings. It angers me and it saddens me, but it sure as hell is not going to stop me. Hell, here, yes. here, here, Bernie. <laughs> if you thought it would, you've got the wrong guy. In the next 10 years, God willing, I will accomplish more to save this world than my critics will do, even if they had 40 lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it yes. when these people don't just apologize for all the money they made. No, no, I have become a billionaire because I provided people with something they wanted, number one, with Home Depot. And then I turned around and made the world a better place. My dad's always said, don't apologize. Do mm-hmm. not apologize. And I say all the time, I'm sorry, but I apologize for nothing. <laughs> I apologize. He should have just ended that with a Rick Flair. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to hit a break. I'm going out to some kind of slow jam, you know, poppy tunes. I don't know what I'm going to do with the vocal or the melody on this. I might have it follow the guitar, but we'll go out to it. I'll take any suggestions, folks. We'll be right back.
welcome back. So you wrote this like when you were 20. Yeah. Nice. The vocal. There's a reason I'm only playing the end of the song. <laughs> the vocal sucks. <laughs> right. I think the line was "Love won't bring me down" or something like that. I, I knew the song was like all these people down and out because they're dating and they all seem depressed. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you're supposed to be having fun. <laughs> the love will bring you down. Yeah, so I'm not gonna let love bring you down, and then it did because you know that's how it happened. <laughs> Stepped on you and crushed your soul. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a certain name that will forever be tainted, but eh, I've made up with her. It's fine. We just don't mention her name. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I don't do that. I, I don't. Or if you see it, you're kind of good. Yeah, and I, no, I really did. I kind of came to peace with the situation. It's like, okay, she's her. I'll leave this little detail. People can figure out her big idol is a woman named Tallulah Bankhead. Okay, who was a known kind of female dandy who was a Hollywood star, but she was from Alabama, freaking brilliant yes, from like yes, the yes. golden age of Hollywood. And she was known for having many men in her life, and uh, just and that was her idol. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So I should have right. seen it coming, <laughs> yeah. and I fell hard. Yeah. So you know, things happen. Things happen, uh, and and you move on, and you're better off for it. But uh, I sent you uh, something earlier for us to go and see what you think of this, Clay. Um, it's you know the opioid crisis. My first blush of hearing that we're going to take this on uh, is okay. We're going to restrict. The amount of pain pills, Percocet, Oxycontin, whatever, Lortab, uh, that we can give to patients. We're going to restrict doctors. And my first thought was, well, you're going to end up with more people dead. Because mm-hmm. people are now going to go to the black market and to the streets. Mm-hmm. And there's not quality control. Heron. Yeah, and there's going to be heroin. Well. Well, and laced with fentanyl. That is a real issue. But we've been fighting the drug war for a while. Especially with these open borders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been fighting it for a while, and, well, though I will say, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase did a good thing for once. Oh, what? Oh. Yeah. they On one of their ships that they own, there was hundreds and hundreds of pounds of cocaine, and then the federal government hits them for it. Okay. It's like, yeah. I mean, thank you for bringing the coke in, J.P. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just yeah, kidding. I, I saw that. I, I, it took me a second to digest that article because the first thing I read was, um, you know, uh, state regulators punish doctor for cutting a pain patient's opioid dose and dropping him after he became suicidal. That was the headline. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, based off the headline, a doctor's getting in trouble because he, being a doctor, used his discretion and decided this guy does not need to be on these painkillers anymore. Right. Uh, and so... I, I kind of read into it a little bit more, and and he kind of actually not only started slowly lowering the dose, but it's because there was a, f- a federal uh, mandate. Mandate, exactly. That, mm-hmm. So what he and and it hadn't gone into effect yet, but he was starting to honor that mandate, and so slow, slowly started dropping this guy's uh, morphine or whatever he was on. And the guy didn't like it, you know. That he it, once you're addicted to that, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, right. it's, it's it's like you have a really bad flu. Well, and yeah, yeah, and, and with something like that too, you can't you can't stop cold turkey, you die. So it's like mm-hmm. uh, the doctor did everything he could to slowly reduce it, and then it got to the point where the guy uh, had an episode. Actually, the guy the, the guy got called in for a pill count, which I didn't even know what that was. I, I had to Google it after I got this article. Yeah, and it's where if you're on pain medi- medi- medication or you go see pain man- management. You can get called in, and they count your pills to make sure that you aren't you're on you're the right. You're taking two day. a day, yes, and correct. Not seven a day. And when he failed the pill count, he had a crazy episode and threatened to commit suicide. <laughs> and this doctor said, "You know what? I'm not going to work with you anymore. 
I'm going to. Uh, he contacted the authorities about it because obviously he's abusing these drugs. Because and you know, doctor's probably trying to save you know his his butt. Uh, but he also uh, contacted the guy's um, general physician and got him on some uh, like some sort of like opioid um, addiction kind of like come down medicine. I don't know what do you yeah. call that. Like, um, well, there's one called Suboxone. Suboxone. Yeah, they got him on uh, something. So they tried everything they possibly could. Um, but the the New Hampshire, what was it? The New Hampshire's um, Board of Medicine mm-hmm. um, suggested state officials are beginning to recognize the harm caused by crackdowning on pain pills. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so so I'm <laughs> right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Yeah yeah. So that's for there's obviously, and I I personally have been affected by the opioid crisis. And sure. at the time we we weren't calling it an opioid crisis, but when a uh, when I was living um, over in Georgia, great. Great friend of mine um, from middle class family uh, lost his brother, and mm. it all started because he was a wrestler and pain. Yeah, and was getting the guys. pills, yeah. and then couldn't get the pills anymore, but was still addicted to the, uh, the opioids. So he went and got the heroin, and next thing you know, he uh, he died. And it was yeah. very quickly. It all happened fast, and he's probably about nineteen, twenty years old. Mm. And going to that funeral and being around that. You know, it was a shocker. That's and, tough. You know, three months later, kind of the same situation with somebody else, another distant friend, and uh, and it was another white middle class kind of kid. And and anyway, so I've seen it, and I think it is definitely a crisis well, definitely after, a you look, after you look at uh, you know the statistics. But to see this sort of like opposite side of it, and then to see that a, a doctor was actually uh, reprimanded, I think I think he had to pay a fine. Yeah, the board the board made him dollars or something thousand dollars, and he so had to take. You do what the government tells you to do, and you get fined by by I guess the board of uh, the MDA. Yeah, the the, or, the or whatever the New Hampshire Board of Medicine. Yeah. Um, and he had to go. He had to take like a twelve-hour class. I think they said twelve-hour uh, class on education uh, in prescribing opioids for pain management and pain management record keeping. Right. As as if he didn't uh, <laughs> go through all the steps <laughs> to try to get this guy. That's right. It's just they said he violated ethical standards, professional ethical standards. It's just it's absurd. And you know, I've known people who have died directly because of things like oxycotton and whatnot. I've seen the the damage these things can do. I know people who are unfortunately hooked on things like heroin, and then they get clean and they go back. And uh, I think the and I've talked about this before on air. I think the approach of uh, the crime approach, uh, treating this like just like crimes, is not the right way to go. I think yeah. it's too heavy handed. It doesn't solve the problem. It needs to be treated like a physical dependency number one but also like a mental problem Mm -hmm. other countries have tried this and it's worked pretty well and the basic idea is that happy people productive people um there are always mistakes made i mean sometimes you mix drugs and bad things happen but people that are really addicted and using a lot it's because they're mentally not there. They're not happy. Correct. Yeah. And what other countries have done, I believe Switzerland did this, is they said, hey, if you want to come into this facility's clinic and use, this is counterintuitive. It was counterintuitive when it was proposed in Switzerland. And you want to use heroin, we'll give you enough. Where you can't kill yourself, uh, but you can use. It'll be a safe environment. We're not going to administer it. We'll give it to you. You have to still inject yourself, all this stuff. And some people did, but what, and what happened is they also gave them another option. Hey, by the way, we've got kind of halfway house right across the street um, we can help you out what's your what's your skill level what's your employment level 
And uh, and what they found is people would come in, some people would use, but a lot of people, even after months of using, would say, what about that halfway house? Hmm. And they immediately, in about a year or so, got rid of the overdose death problem hmm. because people were using kind of safe, quality-controlled substances. And then they started getting people actually in jobs and not wanting to use at all. It goes back yeah. to an old hmm. experiment um, the initial idea of the chemical hook was found with you got a rat in a cage, the rat the drinks water that's laced with cocaine, and that rat alone in that cage keeps going back to that cocaine water mm-hmm. until it essentially dies. Um, this brilliant psychologist came along and said, is that rat happy? So what he made was like a rat garden of Eden, rat paradise, <laughs> where there's multiple rats in a great habitat, things to play with, they can mate, they can do all whatever they want to do, and they had one water bottle that was cocaine lace, they had another that was just normal water. And yeah, the rats would try the cocaine water, but they'd try it once, maybe twice, then wouldn't go back to it. And it's because they have a happy yeah. environment. Yeah, interesting. And, and I don't think this could be done. Think of the size of Switzerland. I don't think this could be done at a federal level. No, I think no. uh, the federal government can sort of get out of the way. If they want to give grants, they can give grants. But the idea should be a very local approach to actually this person has a problem. And they don't feel like they can talk about it because it is a crime that they're using. Mm-hmm. And they probably are using things that are laced with other things like fentanyl. So mm-hmm. maybe that one time you use it, you didn't use just normal straight up heroin. You used heroin laced with fentanyl and you die. And, ha- and that happens frequently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's how um, my idol Prince died. Uh, he really uh, he was getting drugs off the black market, and they found that the bottles he had were labeled things like Lortab and, uh, and like oxycodone, like Percocet and whatnot. But there was fentanyl in it. Yeah, and you know this brilliant man dies alone in an elevator. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just a it's an utter shame. It is a tragedy. And my general approach on drugs it's, it can come across as a little harsh because you don't want to say this to people. Uh, especially people are grieving over loss of a loved one. But at the end of the day, it is about personal responsibility. It always is. You're responsible for what you put in your body. Mm-hmm. And it is not up to the government, certainly. It should be up to support networks, I think. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you and what you eat, what you drink, what you use. And it's fascinating to me, though, that if you look at studies, people who are intelligent, high achievers use drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, think about, like, the Wall Street types. Cocaine's rampant up there, and there are different drug cultures. And out in California, especially in the tech sector, there, there's a big trend of microdosing. They're taking small amounts of, like, psilocybin or yeah. LSD. I think, I think specifically the opioid abuse is sort of a hush-hush situation because mm-hmm. I think that it, a lot of it stems from... I do think there's overprescribing. Yes. I think that there's also, um, you know, prescribing when it's not necessarily needed, um, and and it's so highly addictive. Um, like you said, they turn to you know that you've been on this this pain pill since you were 18, had a back injury, wrestling. Now you're you know 22. Heroin's available. It kind of feels the same, um, but heroin's not 
honestly like socially acceptable like you don't you don't right. go out to the bar and, and you go hey you want to go do some heroin in the bathroom <laughs> real quick coke you know you may see that you may right. see a smoke a doobie or something outside but you know heroin so i think that's kind of a secretive thing and i think that i think that that's also probably one of the leading causes and that of, that's was one point i was gonna make there's not the stigma attached to you know a prescription pill well, my doctor gave them to yeah. me you know I, I take oxycodone i have to and it's always you know something like that yeah. you know i've got a bad knee or a bad back or something and you can no you can make excuses it is getting harder but i mean at one time i mean you just go to the doctor and say man i, I can't sleep at night my back hurts so bad oh here's you know 30 uh yeah or, yeah, yeah or whatever what have you and they do they have cracked down on that well, it goes back to exactly what you said in the beginning too. Is uh, it's got to be handled locally because there's no there's no way the federal government. First of all, <laughs> take the federal government. The problem in San Francisco alone, yeah, <laughs> that would, it would soak all those resources. Yeah. So you know, tackling it uh, federally or uh, you know locally, and and I guess the trick there is just to kind of find out who and what and, and how and well, and, and I think it's it's a failure, and this often comes up, especially in conservative circles after a mass shooting. Um, it, if you look though at Los Angeles and the tent cities and Skid Row, and you look in San Francisco and the homeless problem there, it's not a housing problem. I mean, there is a problem with housing, say in San Francisco, sure. that it's too expensive because they've artificially restricted the supply. And also, we have this weird thing in this country. It's not talked about much, but people want housing to be affordable and available, and they also want housing to be a almost guaranteed investment. No, you have to be able to play the market wisely. Mm -hmm. um, and the two kind of go against each other in a way. That if you want it to be readily available, you want the price of things to come down. But if you want it to be a great long-term investment, you want you it to go, go up. up. Yep, right. So we're working against <clears throat> ourselves here in this purpose. You can, like I talk about Eddie Bader all the time, you can make a great investment like with rental properties, these sorts sure. of things, if you play the market correctly. But the housing issue is Actually, I think a distraction, and at worst, it is a way to look the other way on what the real problem is. Yeah. It is, with mass shootings, with the homeless problem, with drug issues in particular, it's a mental health problem. Mental health, absolutely. Um, especially yeah. if you look in, in, like, say, Los Angeles. There are plenty of programs out in, in lefty California for helping people who are down and out. Yeah. Oh, we'll get you into, like, a nonprofits, the government, all sorts of people are working to help get people get back on their feet. These folks that are living in these tent cities, and I'm getting this mostly from uh, Dr. Drew Pinsky. He used to do Loveline. He's now doing a internet podcast called mm -hmm. Dr. Drew After Dark. And it's usually just a silly podcast talking about people's weird sexual proclivities yes. and perversions. It's I, great. I, I, may, I may or may not have <laughs> listened to a few of those. They're, they're so good. <laughs> they're so good. They're yeah. very funny. But he got all serious on one episode with Seth Green where he was talking about, well, look at that. It's on the, uh, on the television screen, The Homeless Crisis. Dr. Carson's talking about it. It is, he said, these are my people I've been treating for two or three decades. I can see it. It is people that are not mentally there. After California had to release people from prisons, a lot of those folks were in prison because they were mentally ill. They should have been in a hospital yeah. in the first place. Exactly. And so these folks, you can try to get them into a normal program, but I mean, you're talking about all sorts of different types of illnesses that need to be treated in a particular way. Um, it's one thing when a person that doesn't have this issue is addicted. It's another thing if you have a serious mental issue and you're also a substance abuser. That is a whole other way of, of dealing with this. And then combine that with why does, and it's usually uh, 
middle class, upper middle class white kids who shoot up their school. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing that, you know, kids, uh, poor black and brown kids in the inner city don't tend to shoot up their schools because they see violence all the time. Correct. And so there's something about the isolation of, uh, say, suburban white America, and it's obviously not that many people. Um, but there's something going on there, yeah. and it often comes back to mental health. But you got to be careful. I, I am not one for some of these red flag laws don't have enough due process in proving that somebody could be a harm to themselves or others. Yeah. But then you see there does need to be more teeth than what happened in, uh, in Florida. And that Cruz, I think his name was, he had been checked on by the authorities twenty something times. They didn't do anything oh, yeah. about it. That's that's account. That's an accountability thing with, with the local government. Yeah, uh, that's I, y'all both wrong on that. That's yeah. M, that's MK Ultra. Oh, that's MK Ultra. <laughs> Hell yes, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Okay. Fair enough. That's what the authorities <laughs> were checking on him for. Like, <laughs> they're, making, they're giving him the tips and pointers for that? Exactly. Oh, man, we need to get into the Vegas shooting then sometime. That is, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I, I'm not one that says, oh, like, Sandy Hook, those are crisis actors. I, I think that's no, 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 that, ridiculous. That, yeah, that's silly. Um, but the Las Vegas shooting is one where the official explanation, I'm like, that. I told you, my girl Laura Loomer went there, actually got on that elevator, that service elevator, and took it to that floor. And she was, and, and she actually launched a really great investigation. It's probably been taken down off YouTube, like everything she has done. But um, she she went in, and she actually got kicked out of the press pool uh, in in Las Vegas when they're interviewing that sheriff and everybody. Uh, she lost all of her press credentials because she was asking some hard hitting questions, uh, specifically regarding. How is it possible to move this amount of ammunition and these amount of guns through this area? I've actually documented where certain cameras are. Can we get those images? And they they literally escorted her her out of the room. Uh, And yeah, yeah, there's something. There's there's some and some Saudi royalty was there that night. Apparently, I like that theory that it was a it was a cover up. There was supposed to be an assassination on uh, Prince. What's his name? Uh, Saudi. Uh, the, 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 the Saudi prince that was there. That was a, it. Was an assassination attempt on it. That was uh, uh, the the shooting was a distraction to draw him out, and he was supposed to have been shot, and they missed him. And there was some kind of helicopter and that took off right around the same time. They, yeah, he got in the helicopter and left. But I think it's the floor above the floor that the old boy was on, which there was at least two or three up there shooting. You can't shoot that many guns that quick. Oh, yeah. One person can't. But uh, the floor above where he was shooting from belonged to yeah. a Saudi prince. Right. They, like, own that whole floor of that. Thing. It's and, a penthouse up there. Yeah. And it, yeah. I, I like that theory. Uh, I, it, that's it, it one that, sense. If it's all just coincidence, right. then wow. That right. is, that, that is a yeah, coincidence. That, yeah. That, that one I, I didn't it buy. Got, it got brushed under the rug, and I think like Laura Loomer brings it up every. That's now and how then. you know there was something to it. Yeah, it took them three days to decide there was one shooter. It was this man yeah. all alone. At yeah. the very least, the cat was a gun dealer. Yeah, for the CIA. I mean, at the very that's least, a, is what it was. What I, that's I, what I originally thought. It was just a, a CIA gun enthusiast. Well, there made no, millions of dollars there's playing no, video poker. Yeah, like come on, dude. there's no real good photos of him. Yeah, it's yeah. just the, the wife was immediately in her home country then, like right after yeah, they had to pull her back. Too and, much going on with that story. Yeah, she was there before the shooting. And yeah. the, the with a $150,000 check also, to buy her parents a house over there. Yeah. Also, I remember the TikTok, the timeline of actual 
official events of how the authorities responded kept changing yeah. in the official uh, press yeah. reports. I'm like, what the hell's going on? That's one that I think years later we might find out uh, the real story there. It'd be I, really, I don't know if we'll ever find out. Yeah, it'd be interesting, though. Though we're so used to knowing. Like, I, 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 was I mean, asking, hell, we still don't know what happened to Kennedy. I was talking about this with somebody off air the other day. It's like, well, what brought it up is the Epstein stuff. And uh, more and more yeah. victims that come out of Epstein, these women who were young when he just raped them, essentially, um, they're, they're coming out. And it made me wonder, like, think. 1820s. How much stuff went on? Oh, yeah. You know, like... I think about that with the news, though. You know, going back, like, all all of history, really, you think, it okay, so we see how biased, you know, the news is today. How biased was it back then? And did any of this stuff even happen? <laughs> did, oh, yeah. You know, and what really did happen? It's pretty interesting, you know. Well, uh, there's... And if you... that Epstein stuff, that's... Ugh, that's, uh, that's sick, up. man. It's messed Well, up. and the fact that, that so many people were obviously aware of it. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've spent some time around uh, certain folks in Hollywood and can easily see, uh, easily see it being socially acceptable just to have some some mo- quote-unquote model over at the house and, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And w- people just have accepted it. Her parents. Well, and, you know, I'm all about the, the sexual revolution, but, you know, it, I think it led people to a certain degree to look the other way too much. Yeah. Um, I'm all about it, but uh, it needs to be, you know, adults who are consenting. Well, we didn't hit really, sorts of We didn't really hit this last week when we were on that topic, but, you know, one thing I, one issue I kind of had with some of these, these, we talk about pride becoming more and more outrageous and outlandish. And I saw some videos, and there were some youngsters. I mean, in in, in, dra- in full drag, you know, yeah. like a seven year old. And and of course, it, it garnered a lot of attention. And, and and I saw it in the news. And you know, that's one of those things where it's like you know, sexualizing children, right? Where, you know, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. And and then, you know, as somebody that that is in the LGBT community, it it you know, it doesn't look good on our community. And that's not what I, that's certainly not what I represent. And that's not what a lot of, of other gay people represent. Well, well, that radicalization of, yeah. We'll we'll have to touch on that next time because we're out of time. (laughs) Thank you, Frisco. I don't want to man. Too early. Thank you for joining me too, Southern Boy. Anytime.